Chapter 13 of An Earthman on Venus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Jackson. An Earthman on Venus by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 13 Kidnapped. As Yuri, surrounded by his bodyguard, dragged Princess Lilla from the room, I had an inspiration. I remembered the superstitious legend about me, which prevailed among the farmer ants of Formia. Halt! I shouted. My electrical antenna can kill as well as radiate speech. Let no man move a foot if he would escape the lightnings of heaven, which I have power to loose upon you. The whole party stopped dead in their tracks and watched me, fascinated. Drop your points, I ordered the two who guarded Palboth and me. Quick, before I blast you. They obeyed and I walked fearlessly across the room. Let one man stir and you all die, I continued, as I pushed between the guards and wrenched the princess from her cousin's nerveless arms. Now out of here, all of you. In sheer relief, like men awakened from a trance, they bolted through the door. Fine work, Pablath remarked, himself greatly relieved, but you should have detained them all as prisoners. Good riddance to bad rubbish, I replied, and besides, who knows how soon one of them might have moved and not have been blasted and thus have spoiled my entire bluff? The princess clung to my arms. Then raising her eyes to mine with a smile, she said, Again you have saved me, Miles Cabot, and again I am yours. And I am always yours, my princess, I replied. She stamped her foot, then said sadly, Ever you remind me that I am a princess, and as a princess I must demand more respect from you, Miles Cabot. Gently I released her and she lingeringly departed, leaving me alone with Poblath. I felt let down and futile, the victim of an anticlimax. What next? And then ensued a period of waiting. Days passed, and I still remained an inmate of the Kuana jail. No word from Princess Lola, no word from King Hugh, no word of Prince Yuri, although rumor had it that he had fled into Formia, fearing the wrath of the king. I heard that a group of the younger politicians in the popular assembly, headed by Prince Torin, had suggested to the king that he demand an apology from Queen Formus for the first abduction of the princess, and that he demand extradition of Yuri on the charge of attempting the second. But King Q was in a ticklish position, being the ruler of a subject race, and holding his position merely by grace of Formus, whom he hated, as she well knew. If he were to present any such demand as this, the least that he could expect would be an immediate counter-demand for my surrender. Formus might demand his abdication in favor of Yuri. Even war might result, which the Kupians were unarmed to resist. This would mean tons of explosives dropped upon Kuana from Formian airplanes, thousands of Kupians ground between fierce mandibles, and then another treaty more degrading even than that of Muni. Sakin Q resorted to diplomacy, rather than to ultimatums, and finally reached a tacit understanding whereby Queen Formus disclaimed responsibility for the kidnapping and made a gift to the Princess Lilla, and whereby Prince Yuri was permitted to remain undisturbed in Formia and I in Cupia. Upon the consummation of the agreement between the two countries, I was led out of prison and conducted to the royal palace, where I was received in honor by the king and princess. The palace was one of the monumental white buildings on the brow of the hill around which the city of Kuana is built, the rest of the group being the university. Lilla greeted me cordially as an old friend, but of course in the presence of the king neither of us dared show any stronger sentiments. King Q patted me warmly on the cheek, 
Well done, Miles Cabot, he declared. We welcome to Kwana the scientist of menace. Formus, by our treachery, has lost your great abilities, and Kupia is the gainer thereby. The old hag may gnash her mandibles in vain, but... Father, father, the princess interjected remonstratingly. Do be careful. Remember that you occupy your throne merely by the grace of the conquerors. And by the disgrace of my ancestors, he added, grimacing. But father, she continued, walls have antennae. Even now, word of your utterances may be on the way to the imperial city. And she laid her golden curly head beguiling on his broad shoulder. Somewhat mollified, the king murmured, I know, I know, and I must be careful. But the enslavement of my people irks me, even though I spring from a line of eleven servile kings. Would that there were some way of striking off the yoke and ridding the face of Poros of these beasts with human minds and woofus hearts. Spoken like a king, I cried. Know then, King Q and Princess Lola, that if ever such a day comes, Miles Cabot can be counted on to fight in the vanguard of the Army of Liberation. Brave words, Lola replied in a subdued tone, but foolish as well. We are only brinks. Formus is a woofus, and it is futile to struggle against fate. She sighed. Q sat down heavily on his throne and put his head in his hands. I considered it tactful to withdraw. Quarters were found for me near by the palace, and the Ministry of Work assigned me, for my two parts a day, to the machine shop of the Department of Mechanics at the University. Tickets were issued to me as an advance on my pay, and this enabled me to make many necessary purchases from the government shops, to replace the articles borrowed during my incarceration in the Mangul, and to buy presents for Publoth and his fiancée. Among my purchases was the most elaborate and expensive silk toga which I could obtain in the city, so as to enhance my standing and dignity at court functions. A few days after my release, the king honored me with an invitation to dinner with him and the princess alone, and this was followed, within a few days, by a banquet to some of the leading nobles, Sarkars and Barsarkars, and professors of the university, Babas. On this latter occasion, I met the Kupian professor who had stood at the head table at the banquet at Muni, and who had later identified and befriended me at the Kuana jail. He was Ha Baba, professor of mechanics, head of the department to which I was attached. He now sat at my right, and we speedily became great friends, a fact which was shortly to play an important part in my life and in the history of the whole planet. It was on his recommendation that I had been assigned to his department by the Minister of Work. Time sped rapidly during the succeeding days. My duties, which consisted in machine design, were interesting, though a bit out of my line. Of the twelve parths which make up a Perovian day, about four were required for sleep, and only two for work, thus leaving six, the equivalent of nearly twelve earth hours, for meals and recreation. Recreation is the chief vocation of Kupia, and is conducted under the direction of the Minister of Play, who is the most important member of the King's Cabinet. I was duly assigned to a hundred, i.e. athletic club, consisting of 147 members under the leadership of an elective puta, assisted by two bar putas. The hundreds are grouped together by twelves, into thousands, each led by an elective eclet, and so the grouping continues on the analogy of the defunct armies of the Copian nations which existed prior to the Great War of the Formian Conquest. As I have already intimated, a similar organization obtains in the Imperial Air Navy of the Ant-Men. The games are mostly athletic in their nature, consisting in running, jumping, throwing stones at a mark, strap dueling with blunt knives dipped in pitch, wrestling, etc. Sons normally enter their father's hundred as soon as there is a vacancy, and wives and daughters are organized into auxiliary hundreds. 
Teams, representing each hundred, compete annually within their thousand. The winning teams compete within their regiment, and so on up. Badges are awarded to the final winners, and a special prize to the hundred whose members capture the most badges. Then there is competitive marching and complicated evolutions in squads of twelve conducted by each hundred as a whole. This organized recreation is entirely optional, except as to the marching, which in my hundred occurred only twice a sanct, i.e. every sixty days, so I had plenty of time to spend as I saw fit. I made frequent visits to the Department of Electricity and became quite intimate with its professor, Oya Bo. I also became acquainted with Ja Baba, professor of mathematics. The observatory fascinated me. Never for a moment is the huge telescope with its revolving cylinder of mercury left unguarded. Here sits constantly Ba Tedden, or one of his assistants, while four students scan the sky for an occasional rift in the clouds. This vigil, maintained throughout the ages, and a similar vigil at Mooney, have resulted in a knowledge of space comparable with ours, in spite of the clouds which envelop Porus. The Peruvians have long been of the opinion that both Mars and the Earth are inhabited, but that the other planets are not. Constant demands were made on me to lecture before the students, and to submit to physical examinations, but as all this came during my work time, it did not interfere with my recreation. The wing of the palace devoted to Lilla and her attendants lay near to my quarters and not far from the machine shop, and could be reached by an outside door without passing through the rest of the palace. Thither I came as a frequent visitor by invitation of the princess. In fact, to be perfectly frank, I spent nearly my entire spare time there. She had an unquenchable sunny disposition and a keen sense of humor. She had no particular accomplishments, and yet possessed that trait, often overlooked, and yet more valuable than any mere parlor tricks, of tactfulness, sympathy, ability smoothed over the rough places of life, and to enrich with her personality every gathering which she favored with her presence. I certainly was on top of the world, or rather of the planet Poros, and to make my contentment complete, my old aunt friend Doggo was detailed as attaché of the Formian ambassador, and brought with him my pet Buntloat and Lilla's pet Mathlab, which we had left behind in Watusa. Meanwhile, my scientific attainments were attracting considerable attention, until finally Lilla informed me that her father had reached the conclusion that these attainments would furnish an excuse for elevating me to the lesser nobility. The real basis for my elevation was, of course, my rescue of the princess, but the king had not dared to give this reason, for fear of offending the sensibilities of Queen Formus. In due course of time, my promotion occurred, and I became a barsarker, entitled to wear a red circle over where my heart ought to be, i.e. on the right side of my toga. Lilla gave a special dinner to celebrate this, and invited Betha and Pablath. In fact, she was always getting up special occasions on one pretext or another, for she was very fond of devising new ways of cooking Alta and Mathlab, and the red lobster-like aphid parasite, and of trying these dishes on her friends. We played at a four-handed game resembling checkers, and a pleasant time was had by all. After the game, we sat on a little veranda in the warm, soft evening air, two pairs of lovers blissfully happy. Doggo had not been invited. He would not have fitted in. Being a sexless female, what could he know of love? And then, too, I had begun to learn that, except in educational circles, where science knows no national boundaries, there was very little fraternizing between the Cupians and their conquerors. The social barrier between Doggo and me, which resembled the pale between our two countries, was the only drawback to an otherwise idyllic life. But as Pobleth would say, the cloudiest day may have its sunshine, meaning just the opposite to our every cloud has its silver lining. 
for one day i received a letter from king q announcing as a special mark of his favor my betrothal to the duchess Bateau. horrified i rushed to the apartments of my princess and obtained entrance she too had heard the news and was in tears my rank or not but the or no but the you are mine mine she sobbed as she clung to me while i covered her with kisses if it were not for yuri and your criminal record we could flee into formia but here in cupia my father is supreme if you were still a commoner you could marry or not as you chose within your own class but as a barsarker you must marry as the king directs isn't there anything we can do about it i demanded nothing she replied a princess cannot marry lower than a full sarkar which is a rank that you can attain only by performing some distinguished service for your country our only hope lies in accepting fate for the present and in striving to get you a sarkarship before the wedding and think of poor Bateau. this will be as much of a blow to her and to pablath as it is to us but to our surprise and consternation Bateau took the news very philosophically the king's will be done she said with a pretty little pout and shrug mal's cabot is not a bad match after all and if rank prevents him from having the princess and prevents me from having the mango why not solace ourselves with each other and she glanced shyly up at me but somehow the idea did not appeal to me at all i must have looked at but with much of the same expression of horror as the princess had worn the day of our first meeting at watusa when i was still an unkempt earth man for Bateau laughed and said come come miles do not look thus am i so horrible that you cannot learn to love me even to please our gracious king Bathe, stop that foolishness at once ordered lilla you make me sick but Bathe instantly replied cannot i flirt with my own betrothed o princess she left the room smiling she was merely trying to hide a broken heart i apologized whereat lilla wheeled on me furiously and said don't you dare stand up for that creature so i desisted i certainly was in a fix engaged to a girl whom i didn't love but who had apparently determined to put up with me estranged from the girl whom i did love forced to play false with the first man who had befriended me in cupia and no way out in sight what was i to do i thought of renouncing my rank but this i found was impossible and besides such a step would put the princess even further out of my reach but the bore up nobly much too nobly in fact pablo sent me a brief note reading i expected no gratitude but i did expect a square deal and then refused to receive me when i hastened to the mangul to explain i took ha baba into my confidence but he had no suggestion to offer for i had as yet done nothing to deserve a sarkarship as time passed i saw less and less of lilla and more and more of Batha, but i managed to keep from being left alone with the latter the date of our wedding was set and drew nearer and nearer we were to be married in state by the king himself i could not help admitting that my bride was an exquisite creature but i did not could not love her though if i had never met the princess lilla i could doubtless have lived very happily with Batha. but how can the eagle's lover mate with a parakeet at last the eve of my wedding arrived after supper i dragged my footsteps to the quarters of the princess to spend with her the last few parths which i should ever be free to spend for on the morrow i was to become a married man Batha, my affianced bride met me and the princess was nowhere to be seen oh cabot cabot entreated Batha as she seized my hands and gazed into my eyes cannot you bow to the inevitable is life with me such a horrible fate i can be very sweet if you will but let me try you have never once kissed me yet is that the way you treat your betrothed kiss me cabot kiss me kiss me kiss me 
and still holding me with her amber eyes, she slid her hands up my arms and drew her fragrant presence close to me. But I broke away abruptly from her spell and demanded, Where is my princess? Surely you will not rob me of my last few hours of freedom. But thus shrugged her pretty shoulders. Your princess, it is always your princess. Well, what should I care? For tomorrow you are mine, wholly mine, and even a princess will not pirate the husband of a Sarkari. Find her yourself and gather flowers while it yet is day. And with another shrug she left the salon. Tomorrow? Why, tomorrow I may be myself with yesterday's seven thousand years, I quoted softly as I pulled the signal cord for the maid. The maid informed me that her mistress had not been seen since early morning. It was not like Lilla thus to leave her whereabouts unknown for such a long time. So I rushed out into the streets and began to make inquiries. If I had been less agitated, I suppose that I would have been more systematic, but as it was, I soon learned from a pinky that the princess had been seen walking southward over the plaza shortly before noon, so I hastened down to the plaza and started questioning people. At last my search was rewarded, for several people reported that they had seen a woman apparently much agitated, picked up by an ant-man and carried southward. So hiring a kirkle at the nearest garage, I started in pursuit. A few stads outside the city, I came upon an ant kirkle lying beside the road. Gyroscope trouble, evidently. I parked my car and got out to investigate. As I was standing there gazing at the fallen kirkle, a bandage was suddenly thrown about my eyes from behind. Then I smelled the pungent anesthetic fumes of decoction of saffir root, and my struggles ceased. End of chapter 13